All right. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, March 8th, and it is great to study Torah, especially in crazy times. I mean, I guess times are always a little crazy, but yeah, we could definitely use some Torah study and some positivity. All right, just um, as a note, Rabbi? yeah. Rabbi? You know, just following up on what you just said, it's so weird because, I mean, we feel like we're just getting out of the pandemic, so it's two years and we're looking, and then this all happens. Another major catastrophe, worldwide catastrophe happens. Look, we're staying positive. Staying positive, positive, studying Torah, and we got we to gotta stay yeah. positive. In fact, I sent out an email yesterday. You may have seen it. All of you may have seen it. Um, something called the Joy Factory. We're doing a happiness workshop. The idea is to build up our inner sense of joy. Joy, you're, you're, you already have joy. It's literally your name. But we're catching up. We are catching up. Okay, let's jump right in. Hey, Olia, welcome. Good to have you here. Um, okay, so today is Tuesday. And as such, we should be, be we should be starting reading number three, but we're still in the middle of reading two from yesterday, so let's begin. I will share my screen and let's rock and roll. Okay, Torah portion for this week is Vayikra. We're up to reading two, middle of reading two, Leviticus chapter two. As you saw yesterday, we are heavy on the karbanot, heavy on the sacrifices. Um, Vayikra opens, deals extensively with the various, um, uh, the offerings, the sacrifices, what was done in the Mishkan that was just built, and this continues the theme. Okay, now we're talking about a meal offering. If you noticed, yesterday we spoke about, okay, just taking a half a step back. We started off the conversation God speaks to Moses and says, if somebody wants to bring a voluntary offering, it's a gift to God, it's not required, it's not required because of sin, it's not required because of a holiday, it's not required because of, you know, um, of some sort of danger that passed, and it's a mandated form of thanksgiving. This is purely from the giver's own heart, generosity, desire to give. So there's multiple options. You can give cattle a bull. You can give sheep or goats. You can give birds. And you can also give flour. Here we go. Not, not, <laughs> not the other type of flour. We, when, we, when, when the Torah talks about giving God flour, it's not F-L-O-W-E-R. It's F-L-O-U-R. So that's what we're up to right now. All right, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. And if a person brings a meal offering, meal offering meaning an offering of Food, grain, wheat, etc. His offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil over it and place frankincense upon it. So we have fine flour with some oil and some frankincense. All right, and he shall bring it. Same deal. Person from his own heart, his own volition, his or her, right, can bring it. And this is an option to bring a meal offering of fine flour. And he shall bring it to Aaron's descendants, the Kohanim. And from there, the Kohen shall scoop out his fistful of its fine flour and its oil, in addition to all its frankincense. So there's a, a bowl of the flour, and he scoops out, he scoops out a fistful of the fine flour. This is called a kaimates. It's kumtsai, his fistful, or a kaimates is a fistful. The way it's done is, and we'll see this in Rashi, is you take your hand and you take the middle three fingers and you scoop those middle three fingers, and whatever's inside 
Yeah, whatever you've scooped right over here, that is the fistful. It's not a fistful, it's not all, all the fingers, it's the three fingers in the middle that then serve to scoop the flour with the oil and the frankincense. So you have that all in a bowl, you grab it. Okay, let's continue. Then the Kohen shall cause its reminder to go up and smoke on the altar. It is a fire offering with a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. Okay, so you take that scoop, that little three-fingered fistful scoop, and it's put on the altar. The altar has the fire. We talked about that yesterday. There's wood with a fire burning. That's put on the altar. Whoosh, goes up in smoke. And the remaining, and what remains of the meal offering, okay, what do you do with the rest of the oil, with the rest of the flour and the oil and the frankincense? That shall belong to Aaron and to his descendants. Basically, it goes to the Kohanim. It is, a, it is holy of holies from the fire offerings of the Lord. Holy of holies doesn't refer to the Holy of Holies location where the Ark was placed. That's, the Holy of Holies was a, a section of the Mishkan. But in this context, it's also used to indicate like the holiest of offerings is this meal offering. Okay, so that's point number one. We're going to go back and do Rashi's on this in a moment, but let's kind of get a little bit of uh, momentum here. And if one brings a meal offering baked in an oven. So before we talked about a meal offering brought of Raw, raw, I don't know, flour with oil and frankincense. What if somebody brings a meal offering that is baked in an oven? So here we go. So a baked meal offering would look like this. It shall consist of either unleavened loaves made of fine flour mixed with oil. It's kind of like matzah with oil. Interesting, right? Imagine you take flour with oil and you, and you bake it, unleavened. Or unleavened wafers anointed with oil, which is another formula of the meal offering. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll reserve our analysis for toggling Rashi. We'll see what we got over there. And if a meal offering on a pan is your sacrifice, if that's your rub, so to speak, if that's what you got, meal offering on a pan, it shall be made of fine flour mixed with oil. It shall be unleavened. The same two ingredients that we've had here consistently is fine flour and oil in various forms. Break it into pieces. You shall then pour oil over it. It is a meal offering. Now, let's go, okay, oh, first of all, one second, we, mi we miss so much in the English, I, I mean, I love English, you know, it's a great language, but we miss so much when we study Torah in the English, okay, because in the Hebrew, there's a word here that's used that is very unique, and that is nefesh, nefesh ki sakriv karban mincha Hashem. and if a person brings the mincha offering to God, the meal offering to God. But the word is v'nefesh, the word for person is nefesh. As you recall yesterday, the, the opening, the, the, uh, the, the reference to person in yesterday's reading was Adam. Remember we had a Rashi explaining why Adam, just like Adam, literally like the first human being, did not steal when he brought an offering to God because no one else owned anything. There were no other people, right? So to Adam, if we bring a sacrifice, it cannot be from stolen animals. Okay, that's Adam. But today, it's not Adam, it's Nefesh. doesn't use the word Adam for man. It uses the word Nefesh, which literally means soul. And so the commentaries explain something absolutely beautiful. And that is the poor person. And I, I mentioned something along these lines yesterday when it came to the bird. We try to make it look as full as possible. But now we go even a step further. Someone can't even afford a bird. He, can only, he only has a little bit of flour. He can bring it as an offering. God will accept it. Not only that, 
When this person brings their flower, it's their soul that's bringing it. It's a soul heartfelt gift. It's a gift from their soul. It's a gift from their essence. God loves it and God feels the love and the dedication with which it's given, does not look at the price tag. Again, we said a similar idea yesterday, but here it comes into focus with that word v'nefesh, which is only used in this context regarding the meal offering. By no other offering does it use the word nefesh. By no other um, gift offer, uh, donation offering does it use the word nefesh. It uses it regarding like a sin offering, but not by a donation offering. The only time is by the meal offering to indicate that when a poor person, person that doesn't have much, brings that, God considers as if he's given his soul. Let's take a look, in, in a positive way. Let's take a look um, at Rashi on this, because Rashi says this. Literally, and if a soul brings, not a person, but a soul, regarding all sacrifices which were donated voluntarily, the only instance where scripture says the word nefesh soul is in the case of the meal offering. Now, and so the question is why. So Rashi says rhetorically, now, who usually donates a meal offering? A poor man because flowers are less expensive than bird or animals. Hence, the Holy One, blessed be, says, I account, for, I account it for him as if he has sacrificed his very soul. The person who doesn't have a lot, but who brings the flower that he's got and gives it to God or gives some of it to God, that person is giving his essence. He's giving his soul. He's really dedicated. The, the wealthy person who donates an animal, okay, not to take away from anything, but it's not, it's not soul. It's a person who brings an offering. But this person, the poor person, it's like he brought his very soul. All right. Now, Rashi clarifies that if somebody just says that they're going to bring a meal offering without specifying, then it should be a meal offering of fine flour, which is the first one that we've mentioned, which is the flour with the oil and the frankincense. Okay? Here we go. And the comates, the fistful of the offering, which we said is the three-fingered scoop, is scooped out while it is still in the form of flour, as explained in the passage. In other words, it's not baked. It's not fried. It's not cooked. It's raw flour with oil and some frankincense. Um, yes. There are five, Rashi, since five kinds of meal offerings are enumerated here, all of which had to be brought ready-baked before the Kamitsa scooping took place, with the exception of this one, is therefore called Minchasolas, a meal offering of fine flour. Okay, they're basically, there are multiple types of meal offerings. A meal offering is an offering not of an animal, but of flour. It's what we call meal offering. Meal, like in food, like uh, grain, wheat, flour. So the flour offering, one of them was raw, the other forms are baked or cooked or fried or whatever it is, but this is the only raw one, and that's why it's called a meal offering of fine flour. Okay, um, next. Ra Rashi says, when, he sa when the Torah says he shall pour oil over it, Rashi says, over all of it, However, the frankincense is only placed upon part of it. So oil goes everywhere. Frankincense only goes, as Rashi says, um, the coin places a fistful of frankincense upon it at one side of the offering. Okay, so it's only put in one location. It's not mixed into the entire mixture, as is the oil. The oil is poured over it. Okay. Take a look. Um, no, I mean, I think we've said it. Basically, oil, let's just go right here. Oil is poured over all of it because it, the oil, has to be mixed with it and scooped with it. As it is said, scoop out a fistful from its fine flour and its oil. However, the frankincense, because it is neither mixed nor scooped with it, says in addition to its frankincense. Uh-huh. 
So after the fistful, he then collects the frankincense and puts it there. Okay, different, uh, different angle on that. Um, okay. Taking a look at Rashi's, uh, which one I want to mention. Okay, when it says his fistful, this is the kmitza. That's what it's called in Hebrew, kmitza. So what does that mean? What is the fistful? What does that look like? So how does a Kohen scoop out exactly a fistful, not more, not less? So Rashi explains, he covers the palm of his hand with his three fingers. Yeah, which I'm doing right here, right? Demonstrating. He levels off, sorry, and then with the remaining thumb from above and little finger from below, he levels off any overflowing mixture that exactly a measure, a full measure of three fingers is attained. Ah, oh, that's so cool. This is the definition of Kohen's fistful in the Hebrew language, while in other languages a fistful might mean four fingers or something else. So let me explain what's going on here, and I've stopped sharing so that you can see my screen nice and large. So takes the three fingers, grabs the, I should have like done props here broadcasting from my house. So I literally could have prepared this, but who, who needs to waste flour and get my computer all flowery, which is probably not a good thing anyway. So you take the fingers, you make, you grab the, the flour, and then with the remaining fingers, you rub the edges. You with me? You rub the edges to make sure there's no flour sticking out from the side because you want to smooth the edges with your, your pinky and your thumb, and then all that's inside is whoosh. That would be cool if like magically, suddenly a cloud of dust appeared. Nonetheless, that's what the three-fingered fistful of flour looked like, as Rashi um, clarifies. Okay, back inside. Let's go back to Rashi. Okay, in addition to the frankincense, the fist shall be full. So you take a fistful of flour, and then you take the frankincense as a second grabbing, as Rashi specified before. Okay, let's continue... Let's continue. Oh, why is it called a reminder? What does it mean that it's a reminder? It says burn the reminder. It's called azkar, like uh, azkarasa, which is like um, zikaron or yizkar. It's like the same word, remembrance. Where the the, the three-finger fistful is a remembrance. What does that mean? So Rashi says the fistful offered up to the Most High God is a reminder, remembrance of the meal offering because through it, its owner who brought that sacrifice to remember for the good, causing God's contentment. So there's basically a remembrance for the good. Zecher, uh, um, what's it called? Um, Yizkar, it's like a remembrance for the person who brought it. God remembers the person for blessing. Okay, next. Um, all right, some technical stuff, how they divided it. Okay, we got that. Okay, then, then as we read, the Torah talks about different types of meal offerings. That was the raw meal offering, just flour, oil, and frankincense, but then you have one that's baked. These are baked. Okay, here we go. Let's take a look. Um, Rashi, I hereby, a person said, I hereby take upon myself to bring a meal offering baked in an oven. So scripture teaches us that he may bring either loaves or wafers. You know, I wish I had a visual of what a loaf or a wafer is in the biblical understanding. I mean, I know what loaves and wafers are. I mean, you know, who doesn't? But the wafers that I know are some like good kosher pasta straw wafers from Israel that are like with chocolate inside. So like, or vanilla or whatever. You get it for the kids sometimes from Spicy Peach locally here. It's Gavaldic. But like, what does it mean here, loaves or wafers? 
Let's see if we get some, some more insight over here. The loaves are to be mixed up with, oil, with olive oil, while the wafers are to be anointed with olive oil. So there's a difference. The loaves are mixed with oil and then baked. The wafers are baked and then anointed with oil. Okay, here we go. Now, the rabbis in the Talmud, Menachot 75a, differ regarding the anointing procedure of the wafers. Some say that one must anoint them again and again. Oh, sorry, anoint them and again anoint them until all the oil in the log, a volume of liquid, has been used up. For all meal offerings, require one log of oil. It's a decent quantity of oil. So they would put, they would keep on smearing it with oil, as they say. Others say that the oil, some of the oil was smeared on the wafer in the form of a Greek chai, chai, <laughs> she, shaped like a Hebrew nun, okay? While the remaining oil was eaten separately by the Kohanim. Okay, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's skip to the end. All, we also learned, uh, and we learned in Menachot, all meal offerings, take a look at this one, all meal offerings break before the kmitzah, break before scooping, right, the ones that are not raw, and consequently whose kmitzah is performed by breaking the offering into pieces, as we said, the last verse of this reading, all shall be offered in parcels of ten loaves, quantities of ten. Regarding those about which Scripture says chalos loaves and parcels of ten wafers, for those offerings about which Scrupture says rakikim wafers. Basically, when a person brings a, a meal offering from baked loaves, it seems like the quantity was ten, which are then broken into pieces on some level, and then there's a fistful taken out from those, from those loaves. All right. Um, what about a, pan off, a, a meal offering on a pan? What does that mean? So Rashi says, it is a pan-fried meal offering. Pan-fried meal offering. Who's familiar with matzah brai? Who knows matzah brai? You guys know matzah brai? How do you make matzah brai? You take matzah, you crumble it up, you pound it, or you take matzah meal, whatever, uh, or matzah. No, I think matzah. And then matzah, right? Yeah, legit matzah. You soak it in eggs, right? And then maybe you put some salt or something in it or whatever it is, a little, little, little flavor, flavor. Then you mush it up into a mixture and you fry it. I believe so. I'm not like a proficient matzah bry fryer, but that's my recollection. Is that's kind I, of. A, I think it's more like 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 you're frying eggs versus making a matzah pancake. Got it. Right? Got it. Yeah, it could be. Again, I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not the expert. I'm not either. Right. So there's some sort of quantity of some sort of ratio of matzah to egg, egg to matzah, and then it's fried. So I don't know. I'm not saying this is that, but I'm just getting a similar vibe on something not exact same, but like some sort of vibe about this pan fried meal offering. Kind of sounds like there's a lot of flour in a pan, right? Um, so here we go. Uh, the machavas, which is the pan, was a vessel in the holy temple in which certain meal offerings were baked in oil upon the fire. This vessel is not deep but shallow. Okay, so it's a shallow frying pan. And therefore, I feel like we should start pulling up crate and barrel and start looking at the, at the options. Which one looks like a machavas? Like, what would be a machavas? And therefore, meal offerings made in it were hard, for since the pan was shallow, the oil spread thin and, con and, con spread thin, and consequently the fire consumed the oil, causing the product to become hard. Literally, Rashi is, the, is, is describing frying pans. He's literally describing a frying pan where the oil is a thin layer of oil, relatively thin, and you're, you're, you're frying something in there to the point that it becomes hard. 
Okay, great. All meal offerings, Rashi says, require three applications of oil, yitzika, pouring, belila, mixing, and placing oil in the vessel before the preparation. <laughs> oil your pan before preparation. There you go. They're biblical, Talmudic, and biblical advice. When you're frying something, make sure to put oil in the pan beforehand. Fantastic. Nowadays, they make a spray. Also, it's very easy. Back into our story. Break it into pieces. Um... Okay, yeah, we said that before. Okay, it's broken into pieces, and then, and then the scoop is taken out because it's already baked or fried or whatever, and the oil is poured. Okay, I feel like I'm good with Rashi's here. Let's move on to reading number three. By the way, we're going to continue with the meal offerings. It's not like we're done. Rashi said something upwards of five different meal offerings. We've only done like three, two or three. Let's keep on. Oh, now we get deep dish. Deep dish meal offering. All right, now it's a deep pot. Now it's not a shallow frying pan. Now it's a deep pot. And if your sacrifice, yeah, is a meal offering made in a deep pot, it shall be made of, oh, shocker, fine flour with oil. Yep, I know what you're thinking, right? Where's the, uh, you know, give me something else. No, it's fine flour mixed with oil. Thus you shall bring the meal offering which shall be made from these types, the Lord. All right, so that's kind of the, conclusion of this maybe we did have all five now and he shall bring it to the kohen and he shall bring it close to the altar so in all of these cases you bring your loaves or your fried loaves or your baked loaves or your deep dish loaves whatever it is you break them into pieces the kohen takes a piece the kohen shall lift out from the meal offering its reminder reminder means the three-fingered um representation, whatever, and cause it to go up and smoke on the altar it is a fire offering with a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. And what remains of the meal offering, in this case as well, the rest of the loaves, shall belong to Aaron and his descendants. It is holy of holies from the fire offerings of the Lord. Now, before we continue, I need to point out something that I find interesting. By all other donation offerings, as you noticed, we called them yesterday a fire offering which means everything was burnt in the altar. When it comes to the meal offering, only a piece of it, a three-finger piece, either from the raw flour, I mean, they're just the flour, or from the baked items that was represented on the altar, the rest were eaten by the priests. As to why that distinction, it would require further elaboration and discussion, which perhaps we'll get to. But just note that there is a bit of a distinction, whereas most Ola offerings, burnt offerings, are completely burnt, here, only a piece of it, a representation, a reminder, is burnt. The rest is consumed. Okay, keep that in mind. Let's continue verse 11. No meal offering that you sacrifice to the Lord shall be made out of anything leavened. You know what leavened is? The Hebrew is chametz. You know what chametz is? First of all, it induces panic because we're almost a month out from Passover. I'm kidding. We shouldn't be panicked. We should love holidays, including Passover, including the cleaning and the prepping and the matzing, and the get, getting rid of chametzing that we need to do. But where else was chametz banned? You guessed it, from the meal offerings. No meal offering could be brought leaven. No, um, like, yeast or anything like that. For you shall not cause to go up and smoke any leavening or any honey as a fire offering to the Lord. By the way, honey, I believe, is a leavening item. Are there any bakers here? Can anybody corroborate this? Let me check in with you guys. Anyone bake? I bake a little bit. I mean, I dabble in ba- I'm not a baker. I just, like... Yeah. Yeah? Can, can honey be used as a leavening agent? Is, that, is, is this legit? You know what I think? 
Here's what I think. Here's what I think I know. I think I know that when it comes to yeast, you have to feed it. Right? Am I correct here? I don't mind making up I don't mind making up stuff. Right? You have to feed it with sugar, right? I think so. Anyway, I believe that you have to feed the yeast. Feed the yeast with sugar or something like that. And I, I further believe that you can replace that with honey. Well, because I've done that before. I, we have a bread maker machine, right? The, the, um, the chef Google yes. agrees with you. Oh, that what? That, that, that honey is a that leavening? honey is a le le leavening agent. How do you say that? There you go. There you go. Excellent. Can be used. Can be used. But I think you still need the yeast. Am I wrong? It still needs yeast if it just feeds the yeast? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the combination. I've made bread. So we have a bread maker um, that I got a number of years ago. And every once we don't use it as much as we should. Although, you know, I'm now I think I'm inspiring myself to maybe break it out tonight. The kids love it. You know, you put up a, a loaf of bread um, and you can actually put the ingredients in like night before and have it bake like fresh for the morning. Oh, so going to do this. Guys, I'm going to report back tomorrow. Please, God. Nope. No promises. But... That's going to be, that's my intention will be to make a loaf of bread. Um, and it comes out amazing. But the recipe that I use is like a little bit of whole wheat. I think like half and half whole wheat and, and white coupled with, it's like five ingredients. It's like super like pure with some, um, with some, some yeast and honey. And that's it. It's like, like it's honey, whole wheat bread. But partially whole wheat, partially white. It's fantastic. It's a great. I have, I have the recipe on my phone. You know what? Hey, we're all friends here. This is a safe space, right? Let me pull up. My, I actually have it on my, saved on my phone. So let me pull this up. Um, bread. See if it comes up. I know it will. Honey whole wheat bread. Look at this. Ta-da. Honey whole wheat bread. Literally on my phone. Okay, so here we go. Two uh, dry ingredients are, oh, it's two to one. Two cups of bread flour with one cup of whole wheat flour. Who thought we were going to get recipes of bread here? Right, so two cups of bread flour to one cup of whole wheat flour. So three cups total with one teaspoon of salt, two tablespoons of olive oil, a quarter of a cup of honey, and a little bit of warm water. Oh, and one and a half teaspoons of active dry yeast. So how many ingredients? Flour, salt, olive oil, honey, water, yeast. Six ingredients, fresh bread. Anyway, what's the point? Who knows at this point? No, the point is that honey can be used as part of a leavening process. And thus, the Torah says that when you're bringing the meal offering, no honey, no leavening, nothing of the leavening family, nothing of, of, that can be involved in that process can be used. Right? No leavening or any honey can be used for this offering as a fire offering to the Lord. That is banned. That is considered chametz. And not kosher. I mean, not fit for this offering. By the way, this is not it's nothing to do with Passover. I mentioned Passover just because that's the typical context that we know about bans of chametz. This is just all, all, all year round, ban against anything leavened or any honey being brought with these meal offerings. However, you shall bring them as a first fruit offering to the Lord. Nevertheless, they shall not go up as, on the altar as a pleasing fragrance to the Lord. So in other words, you can donate them in other contexts, but not on the altar as a meal offering, etc. Now, let's continue. And we're going to do Rashi's. We're going to get some Rashi's in. Let's continue. Um, and you shall salt. Listen to this. This is a very practical uh, law. And you shall salt every one of your meal offering sacrifices with salt. You shall salt it with, you guessed it, 
salt. Double expression. Salt it with salt. And you shall not omit the salt, three times salt now, of your God's covenant from being placed upon your meal offerings. You shall offer salt, number four, reference four in this verse, on all your sacrifices. So in case you're wondering what verse 13 says, it says you shall salt with salt, don't omit the salt, rather you should offer the salt on all your sacrifices. Okay, the reason why the repetition, number one, there is a positive commandment and a negative commandment. The positive commandment is, positive commandment is, you shall salt. The negative is, do not omit the salt, right? And that's regarding meal offerings. And then the last, sec, the last sentence here in this verse talks about offering salt with all your sacrifices, not just meal offerings, but also animal sacrifices also need an abundance of salt. Now, how does that have a practical application? Very simple, and I'm sure we all know this that on our tables, whenever we have a formal meal, which by Jewish law is defined as having bread with your meal, you're supposed to have salt on your table and dip a piece of the bread into the salt and then eat it. Why? Because our, our tables and our meals are like the altar and the sacrifices, just like back then the, uh, the, the offering, whether it was bread, a meal offering, or whether it was an animal offering, whatever, whatever you were eating was all about elevating it to God. So to the food that we eat should also be about a higher elevatory experience. And thus, just like they had salt then, we're supposed to have salt now. Make sense? Yeah, Joy, jump in. The daily wisdom today is really short. It addresses that. It's very oh. nice if you want to look at it. I would love it. You know, what? you know what? Just give us the summary. Why not? Okay, it says, all four kingdoms of creation are incorporated in the sacrifices. Salt is the mineral element. The wine, the oil, wine, and flour that accompany sacrifices are the vegetable element. The animal itself is the animal element. The person offering the sacrifice and the priest officiating at the sacrifice are the human element. Though these representatives, through these representatives, the sacrifice elevates all four kingdoms of creation into holiness. Love that. Similarly, the animal and vegetable food that we eat is our own personal sacrifice, since by eating it, we transform it to the fuel that enables us to fulfill God's commandments. Beautiful, beautiful. And by elevating yeah. it into holiness. Love that. And then when we add salt, it's not only the vegetable and the animal, but it also is the mineral which I love, and then thus the whole, the entire strata of existence, right, are elevated to our space, and then we hopefully do something good with that energy, and then all that energy, in a sense, is burned in a good way, right? Like the calories, whatever, like it's burned up as a, as a fire offering almost to God. That's really beautiful. I love that. So the salt almost finishes the... The, the spectrum, right? Because we have the animal, we have the meal offering, but we got to go one step, one more step to incorporate the mineral. I love that. I love that. Or, or another way of incorporating the mineral is 70 facets, right, Dina? The, uh, the, uh, the stones, the jewelry. But this is a way of actually eating. I would not recommend eating the jewelry. Do not do that. That's not going to be a healthy thing. But this is a way of eating, consuming the mineral as part of our food. So that's, that's a very cool thing. By the way, this is not only done on Shabbat. Many are, all right, awesome. Many are familiar on Shabbat with the idea of dipping the bread, the challah, into salt. This is done any meal. I think I've shared this before. Maybe I haven't. I don't know. My grandfather, a blessed memory, would always be careful to have a meal with bread. A lot of people may sometimes avoid it 
It's not nothing to do with carbs, but avoid it because of the blessings. You know, there's a ble- you have to wash the hand when you eat bread. There's a hand washing thing, and then there's a special blessing that you do after the long, like grace after meals is for bread specifically. So it's like, a, it's more of a commitment um, to eat bread. So a lot of people will actually consciously, subconsciously be like avoid bread so as not to like get, if you will, roped into a longer um, uh, prayer process, which honestly doesn't sound so nice. Because like what we're avoiding, thanking God and all that stuff. But listen, people are people and, and it is what it is. If somebody's in a rush, you know, they're going to not just grab a piece of bread because it's not just grabbing a piece of bread. It's a bit of a commitment. I'll tell you this. My grandfather would always make sure to have a piece of bread. It's like if it's a meal, have some bread. He would always wash his hands, take the salt, dip it into the salt. Like, I'm going to say old school, but like, like, like legit authentic. Like just you know, eating a meal. Not, not about having a lot of it, just you know, a little bit, because that makes it a meal and that gives the opportunity to, to incorporate the salt as well as part of the tradition. I mean, we could always put salt into food, into salad, into whatever, but this is a way of formally in, in, incorporating all the elements. Okay, let's jump back into our text. Joy, thank you for sharing that. It's really beautiful. Okay, so that's about the salt. That was verse 13. Now let's continue with verse 14, and then we're going to go, once we do the next few verses, we'll go back with Rosh. When you bring a meal offering of the first grains to the Lord, you shall, bring the, you shall bring your first grain meal offering from barley. As soon as it ripens, parch over the fire, kernels full in their husks, ground into coarse meal. And you shall put oil, into, you shall put oil on it and place frankincense upon it. It is a meal offering. This is talking about the first grain meal offering. This is a little bit different than the voluntary meal offering that we've been speaking of. But I guess once we're talking about meal offerings and salt and no chametz and no honey and all that stuff, all right, so we'll also give us, we'll also talk about some additional meal offering options, including the first grains. You know, the first grains are called in Hebrew the Bikurim. That means anytime something is new, something, the new crop comes in, whatever, you take a, 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 a certain quantity of that and bring it to the temple. So this would be talking about when the barley comes in, you take some of that and that's how you prepare it. Um, and that becomes a meal offering as well. Then the Kohen shall cause its reminder. Same process, take the three finger fistful and, and, and he caused the reminder to go up and smoke on the altar, taken from its coarse meal and from its oil with all its frankincense. It is a fire offering to the Lord. So you take the same, same concept, take the barley, you parch it over fire with the kernels and the husks, then you ground it into coarse meal, then you pour oil and frankincense, and then you grab the, for, uh, the, uh, the, the ground barley meal and oil, and you grab all the frankincense, and put it on the fire of the altar. Okay, so that's the reading for today. Let's go back and see some Rashi's. First of all, we talked about the deep dish. I'm just calling it deep dish. That's it. Deep dish uh, meal offering. Rashi explains, Marcheshes is a deep was a deep vessel in the temple. Okay, so literally the temple had all these pots and pans. They had shallow frying pans, deeper. Yeah, okay, maybe like a Dutch oven. And since it was deep, Rashi explains to us, it's oil gathered together and the fire did not burn it. Now, you know what? Listen, I've, I've done my fair share of frying and I will tell you that when you have a deeper pot with a lot of oil to a high temperature, honestly, it also fries pretty crispy. But I guess on some level, maybe it wasn't at the fire wasn't as high or something. I don't know. But either way, Rashi's saying the fire did not burn it. Consequently, meal offerings made in it vibrate 
Rochashin. As anything which has become softened through a liquid, like in the case of deep frying, appears to vibrate and wiggle. I'm trying to think of what's an example of something that's fried in oil and becomes more of like a wavy type, you know, undulating type um, experience. I'll tell you this, unrelated, but related, because it's all related. I was looking up with my kid, and just because, you know, like sharing random things today. So um, yesterday, I got inspired to Google, um, oh, what's it called? Funnel cake. Funnel cake. Like, yeah, it's just been a while. I don't know, funnel cake just came to mind. So like, hey, kids, you know about funnel cake? They have never seen funnel cake. My kids have never seen funnel What do you get funnel cake? I remember in Pittsburgh growing up, I mean, like, kosher funnel cake is very hard to find, especially locally in Atlanta. I don't know of any store that even, like, would at all. So where do you get kosher funnel cake? I remember as a kid in Pittsburgh, there was a store that opened up for like very short lived. It was like open up for just like a year or two, maybe three, maybe a few years. Um, they had funnel cake. And I remember like funnel cake was pretty decent. So I looked up last night. I'm like, hey guys, you ever heard of funnel cake? No. So we looked it up. And anyway, it was just interesting. But I, the funnel cake, I didn't know how it was made actually, but you like squeeze out, maybe you guys know, you squeeze out this batter of the funnel cake into oil, like right? oil, hot oil, and you kind of go like in a circular motion, like a wavy motion, and it kind of forms a funnel cake, what we know and love as funnel cake. So, but it kind of comes, I think it becomes a little crispy. I think that's what I recall it uh, to be and what I saw in the video. So I don't think that it falls into this category of, of something that is vibrating and wiggling, but yet this is, this is the way this deep pot meal offering looked like. It was more of like, I'm gonna call it like a, um, like a soft lava type uh, item as opposed to a crispy wafer. Okay, that's the distinction, at least as Rashi describes it. Okay, so all of these should be made. Um, Rashi says uh, from these types, literally should be from these. Okay, a meal offering which will be made from one of these types of uh, meal offerings mentioned, namely fine flour baked in an oven, pan fried, or that made in a deep pot. Shall bring it to the Kohen, bring it close, bring it to the southwestern corner of the altar, and he takes this fistful scooped out of the meal offering. Okay. Oh, by the way, ah, look at this, Rashi. Oops, look at this. Very important, very important note. Rashi says, honey is any sweet fruit extract is called honey. Honey is not necessarily the honey that we know and love. Okay, that's very important. Honey is any sweet fruit extract. That's the biblical meaning of honey. It could mean any uh, sweet fruit extract. So that's a very important distinction. Not necessarily honey from bees. Okay. Um, oh, and that makes sense why it's a first fruit offering. Bum, bum, bum. Right? Why is it a first fruit offering? Think about it. Right? He says, don't bring it. The Torah says, don't bring it in the context of a meal offering, but rather bring it as a first fruit offering. Why? Because we're talking about sweet fruit extract. Right? What can you bring from leaven and honey? A first fruit offering, namely the shteyalechem, the two loaves of bread wrought on Shavuot, which, came from, which come from leaven. As it says, they shall be baked leavened. And the bikurim, the first fruits, which contain dvash honey, are the first fruits of figs and dates, which have a sweet, sticky honey-typed um, extract. Okay, let's continue. Now, salt, don't omit the salt of your God's covenant. What does it mean that the salt is God's covenant? Rashi explains there was a covenant made with salt since the six days of creation. 
in that the lower waters were promised that they would be offered on the altar. Look at that. Look at that. The lower waters, if you remember day two of creation, God separated between the lower waters and the upper waters. And the lower waters, according to the tradition, the lower waters complained and said to God, God, it's not fair. The upper waters are hanging out in heaven, and we were the lower waters. We've been banished you know, to earth. That's not fair. And God says, I promise, your derivative, i.e. salt, will be offered on my altar. Okay, so how are they offered? How are the lower waters offered? In the form of salt, which comes from water, and in the water libations on Sukkot. Okay, next, you shall offer salt on all your sacrifices. This includes the burnt offerings from animals and birds, and the emurim, the portion of the sacrifices offered up on the altar from all the holy sacrifices. All of these included salt. Now, when you bring a meal offering of the first grains to the Lord, Rashi says, this is not optional. Even though it says im, which could mean if, it's translated here as when, because it's not optional. It's not if you bring the meal offering from the first grains. You must bring a meal offering from the first grains. Because scripture is referring to the minchasa omer, the omer meal offering. Oh, omer. We're almost by uh, Passover when we start counting the omer. But that's when the omer meal offering was brought. It was a community sacrifice brought on the 16th of Nisan, which is the day after the first day of Passover, i.e. the second day of Passover, which is obligatory. It was an obligatory meal offering brought on behalf of the community. So let me just explain. In Israel, that's the time of the growing season. The, the ground begins to give its bounty, if you will. So on the 16th day of Nisan, there was a meal offering, a communal sacrifice brought of the barley. That is the way it was done. And thus, the counting of the Omer means the days that we count from the time that we bring that Omer offering, that becomes day one. The 16th of Nisan is day one of the Omer. The next day is, the day two, is day two until we count 49 days. And the 50th day is the holiday of Shavuot when you bring the two loaves of bread. Just to clarify, I know I'm throwing out a lot of information here, but just to clarify, the, the Omer offering on the second day of Passover was brought from barley, as the Torah, as we see over here. Um, and Rashi clarifies, and the next Rashi also says it came from barley. The Shtehalechem, the two loaves that were brought on Shavuot 50 days later, those were from wheat. Barley is considered to be an animal food, and wheat is a human food, although, again, everyone can have both. But one is more associated with animals, one is more associated with humans. The idea is that we go from Passover to Shavuot, we go from animal to human, i.e. there is a process of growth and maturation that happens in those 50 days between Passover and Shavuot. Passover is like the birth, freedom, the birth, you know, the, the first day in which we're all kind of pretty raw, pretty un, unfinished, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, you know, uh, menshi wise. And by Shavuot, we have 50 days of prep. We, ha- we can be a mensch and eat human food. That's symbolized by the two loaves of bread. So, Rashi says, meal offering the first grain. Scripture is referring to the Minchas Omer, the Omer meal offering, as we said, which is to be offered aviv, meaning as soon as the grain has ripened, and it comes from barley. How do we know barley? Because it says here the word aviv, which means ripened, and it says in Exodus 9.3.31, kiha se'ira aviv, for the barley was ripened. It uses the same word aviv in both, both locations, here and there, and there it's, lo- it's associated with barley being ripened. So here too, we learn, we derive, that it's also a reference to the barley. Parched over fire. 
they dry the grain over a fire in a roasting pipe. And they had to do this because otherwise it could not be ground up because it is moist. You can't, you can't grind you know, grains that are not, not dried out. So they had to dry it first and then they could grind it up. Coarse meal, breaking up or grinding with a grit, with grit millstones. Ah, grit millstones, grits. Sounds very um, Georgia. Okay, he is, indeed, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. Oof, that sounds brutal. Lamentations, that makes sense. Lamentations is about uh, the suffering and the pain with the, with the temple's destruction. That makes sense talking about teeth grinding on gravel. Similarly, my soul is crushed from Psalms. King David writes that. My soul, nafshi, gaki garsa nafshi. Okay, um, yeah, I feel like that's it for today for the Rashis because these are more of... Um, this last one is a little bit uh, nuanced. Okay, all right, so that's it for today. So what, what do we learn? What do we learn? So we started with the second reading, and what we learned first right off the bat in reading number two is that the person who brings the meal offering, the person who brings the meal offering is a nefesh, is a soul, right? Once again, God does not look at the amount. God does not look at the price tag. God does not look at the expense. God looks at the sincerity, God wants the heart. God wants us. It's not, about, it's not about the money. It's about us. So when the poor person brings whatever he can, he brings his meal offering, God says, that's a soul. Nefesh. That's a soul. That's a soul-felt, heartfelt, soul-felt offering. That's number one. We also learned about the different types of meal offerings, and we learned about the, the prohibition against bringing the leavened items we talked about the, the obligation to bring salt. We talked about, um, with the offerings, we talked about um, the, the, the historical reason for this because this, the, the, the lower waters, the, the ocean waters, were promised that the part of them would be offered on the altar and their derivative salt is indeed offered on the altar. We also spoke about the fact, um, as Joy mentioned, the fact that the salt... In, makes allows an offering to be inclusive of all four dimensions of life, starting from the mineral to the veg, vegetation to the animal, and then, of course, the human being that's facilitating the offering up to God. So it's really connecting all, you know, across the spectrum of existence from creator to creation and all levels of creation down to the mineral. We talked about how we do the same in our meals. We also include salt and an abundance of salt to include that. And we concluded with a discussion about meal offerings on Passover, Shavuot, barley and animal, and the, uh, uh, barley animal food, and then graduating to wheat and human food. And the point is, we're always striving to be more and more of a mensch. No matter how menschy we are, there's always room for improvement. Relative to yesterday, now we're first human. Yesterday, ah, we were a little too animalistic. Today, we could be more human. That's the goal. Every day, a little bit more human than the previous. Okay, that's it for today. All right, questions, comments, jump in. Yeah, just quickly, I mean, so you, you mentioned the two loaves, just quickly, what, so what is, why do we eat two loaves today like on Shabbos, you know, for the... Oh, on Shabbos, we have two loaves for a different reason. On Shabbos, we have two okay. loaves because the manna would fall on Friday, a double, a double portion would fall on Friday from the manna. Mana for Friday and for Shabbat. So when they collected on Friday morning, 
they would have a double portion. So to commemorate the extra mana that fell on Shabbat that didn't leave them high and dry, the extra mana that fell on Friday for Shabbat, so they wouldn't be high and dry. To remember those double portion, we have two loaves. That's the, that's the, the classic reason. Um, unrelated to the Ishtei HaLechem, to the two loaves brought on, um, on Shavuot. But maybe, could it really be unrelated? I'm sure there's something. I'm sure there's something. But at least the immediate reason for that, for the two loaves on Shabbat is for, for another reason. Okay, questions or comments, other questions or comments, jump in, please. Okay, tonight, friends, tonight, we are launching You Be the Judge. This is a fantastic series, six-part series, putting you in the driver's seat of law, Jewish law. First, there was Judge Wapner. Then, there was Judge Judy. Now, you be the judge. Do-do-do. Do-do-do. All right, that's my people's court um, attempt of singing, singing the, uh, the little jingle of the people's court. Friends, tonight, 8 p.m. <laughs> Thank you. Tonight, 8 p.m., join me for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We are going to examine cases of true crime, murder, intrigue, financial fraud, and explore them based on the understandings of U.S. law and Jewish law and walk away with hopefully some profound insights into the foundations of Jewish law, the workings of Jewish law, and some practical applications, even for our spiritual lives as well. All of that is coming up tonight at 8 p.m. You be the judge, where you get to be the judge. For the first time ever, I'll just share this with you. I was working on it this morning. For the first time ever, I've created a poll, in, yeah, P-O-L-L, a poll inside of Zoom. So when it comes to, we'll, we'll present cases, and then turn it over to you. You be the judge, and you can vote what you think the verdict should be. And we're going to be exploring that. So it will be an interactive course. It'll be a lot of fun. So if you're not yet signed up, you can always try it out. There's a, there's a trial, you know, trial option, although that has more than one meaning in this context. But for the, for, the, for the purposes of what I'm talking about, you can try out the first class free of charge, check it out, and then hopefully join us for the remainder. But either way, would, hope, would love to see you tonight at 8. All right, that's it. And also check out the website. We have so much stuff coming up. It's really amazing. Okay. Rabbi, are you going to be able to send an email to the... Yes. Let me, let me, yes, let me get on that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so whoever came, you know, some people came once or twice. Though. I should have a list. I should have a list of, of most everybody. Yeah. Who's part okay. of it. Okay. All right. We'll see you all. Take care. Thank you, And have a wonderful day. Happy International Women's Day. Oh, oh, that's important. Oh, yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Okay, awesome. Good, good, good. Thank you very much. We'll see you. All right. Take care. Bye.